Live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Amara Enya, Peter Therapy, Jeannie Ives, and Mike Miller. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8029. That's 1-800-723-8029. If you'd like to email me, email me a comment, it's brucedumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at dumo, at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web at beyondthebeltway.com, both the audio and video portion of the show. And also, you can see us live on our Facebook, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont Facebook. That goes all over the world. And again, we thank you very much for uh, joining us on tonight, which is the 38th anniversary of this broadcast. And again, we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later on. But again, as usual, uh, we have a full two hours for you. And in the second hour, we're going to be joined by Michael Isikoff, one of the leading investigative journalists in the country. He's the chief investigative journalist for Yahoo News, and he, uh, he feels there was a big story last week that was missed by most of the mainstream media. We will give it a lot of coverage. Very, very important story to discuss in the second hour. But will you begin with the big story of immigration, the president's uh, reversal on his positions about uh, breaking up families or separating families at uh, the border. And again, I want to get everybody's sort of reaction to this past week because it's been a, it's been a, a, a week of uh, pictures, very heartwarming pictures, uh, photo ops, and a change in position by the president uh, from a very hardline position, at least as it relates to separating families as part of the crackdown at the border. Jeannie Ives joins us, one of the leading Republicans in the state of Illinois. She ran in the Republican primary for governor, unsuccessful, but again, a state representative from Wheaton, Illinois. Good to have you back with us. Uh, Your reaction to the totality of uh, where this uh, issue has evolved uh, during this past seven days? Well, I think we're all a lot smarter about immigration and the history of immigration and the policies that were put in place from 1997 on. And so I, I, you know, to some degree, that's that that's what Trump has helped do is it's forced people to learn about our immigration policy and where we stood. Did it force him to learn it as well? Oh, well, you know, I think that he probably had a good briefing about what to do. And I think he came in. uh, He didn't lie to anybody when he campaigned for office, which is the important thing to do as a candidate. He told people what he was going to do. Right. He was going to enforce our immigration laws. And so is, if anybody's surprised that he came out with a zero-tolerance um, clause, I, I, I would say that you are the ones who should be rethinking uh, what you heard in the campaign. Amara Enya is one of our Democrats. Amara, nice to have you with us. Uh, what's your uh, take on the evolution of the story this past week? Well, I think that there was a, such a significant backlash to the the announced zero tolerance policy and the separation of families that really hit a nerve with the public. So I think that this is along the line with many of the things that President Trump has done, where it's it's really shocked people. I think because it was involving children, it really hit home both on the Democratic side and the Republican side. And I think that he rolled it back. But today he also, I, I think um, the last couple of days, he talked about no um, people being sent back immediately, so not even going through the judicial process. So I don't think that there's been a complete 
um, roll back in his stance. Mike Miller from DePaul University, welcome back. Making your 60th yes. appearance on this broadcast. Congratulations. You've been very nice to me to ask me to come back. <laughs> You've been very a good guest. Yes, thank you. Uh, there has been an evolution. It has become perfectly clear that the Democrats have gone from wanting to protect the borders and being against illegal immigration to wanting to have open borders and let anybody in who wants to come in. It is clear as well when you look at the polls, there's no doubt that it was bad optics with what happened with the children and everything. But the American people have been pulled. Uh, we've, we've asked them, what do you really think? And the thing is, we have to protect the border, and these people have no rights to come in here, and the people who are at fault are the parents, not the United States. So some things have involved. Um, I don't think Trump had any choice to do what he did. But I also have heard he, there's a chance his executive order, which I do not like executive orders, uh, will probably be overturned anyhow. Peter Garapi joins us. Your first appearance on this program. Yes, thank you. Welcome. I'm, nice yeah, to have you with 59 us. short of mine. <laughs> you ran for uh, locally for, for a county office in Chicago. Uh, we're unsuccessful in Cook County, but again, welcome to be with us. Thank you. uh, you're a Democrat, but what's your response to, uh, uh, to the whole issue, the way it evolved with both the, the photo ops and the reality of what happened with the president? It, it, it really seems like there was, for whatever research that went on within the White House prior to making that decision, or prior to enforcing the zero tolerance policy, it doesn't seem, if that research was conducted, that it certainly wasn't followed. Because I have to imagine that people at that level um, within, our, within our nation's government would have said, look, this will be the blowback. This isn't a tax plan that people disagree with. This is not an infrastructure policy. That, that other people might not agree with the leadership that the federal government is seceding. This is, th- these are children. This is separating people from their parents and the long-term impact that that can have that is, you know, in large part unforeseen. I can't imagine as a five-year-old going through what these kids are going through now and what that could lead to. So it seems like whatever the best information they had at their disposal, they certainly didn't exercise it this time. One of these Sunday morning hosts said today this was a made-for-television issue. Uh, it seems to me that, that that's the nail on the head because of all the, sure. because the way in which the media involved. responded. Right. Anytime right. there's a child involved, they're going to garner the, the sympathy of everybody watching, and, and that is the case. But uh, listen, this policy you know, is, is something that Bill Clinton started. In, in 1997, quite frankly, and then you had the Flores decision come down saying you cannot hold children in detention systems, and so they, they started to separate the, them. Which was against the Obama administration, right. and Obama had been tough on this right. as well. Yes, A lot of uh, well, they had uh, talked tough. However, they just released folks into the the general society, expecting them to show up. Where well, we all we actually know that only two percent of those folks who were released into society ever came back to actually have their immigration hearing. And the idea that this isn't an asylum, uh, you know, here's the other thing. You have those who are actually uh, saying that they want asylum, and then you have those who are just crossing the border illegally. And um, the, the Department has, of Homeland Security has said, look, if you cross and you declare asylum, we're going to keep you together. But if you cross illegally, then your parent or relative, which is something we should discuss, are these really the parents of most I of the kids? In many know. cases, they are not. And so you have to worry about sex trafficking and, and other types of human trafficking that's going is on. It, do you see this as, as complex as, as it really is? 
I mean, it's definitely complex, but I think if you, if you look at the percentage, for example, of those who um, are purported to not have their own children as they're crossing the border, it's a very small percentage. I also think that we're missing some of the larger context with why there are a lot of asylum seekers, mainly some coming from Honduras, where um, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, there was a destabilization there that I think contributed to this migration of people fleeing from horrible conditions in their home country. And so many are That's coming not a as reason for asylum, asylum no. seekers, but there are conditions for asylum seekers, and they have every right to come and claim asylum. Yeah. They don't you have do. they, not, if, if they go, do not if they have go to a right, the right if, if it's economic, if it's an, you're an economic refugee or if it's a domestic abuse issue. Exactly. Those are not reasons for asylum. Asylum is a very specific thing. We it's had specific, an entire Beyond the Beltway on this. It's it is defined. It's defined. We can't put everyone in the category of just people wanting to cross the border. There are people who do have legitimate asylum cases, and that's why they're coming here. Uh, We're going to come those, back. one 800 800-723-8289. If you have an opinion on this issue, you likely will. Uh, give us a call. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes, to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Amara Enya, during the break, you were telling us that your family came here uh, from uh, Nigeria and, and, and sought asylum. So tell us what happens when you do that. Yeah, so our so my parents were involved in Nigeria's civil war uh, back in the late 60s and 70s. We also had a situation in the 90s where we had a dictator that was executing people. And so there was another wave of people who oh. came to the United States seeking asylum and they were they they came here for that very reason. And so I think as we're talking about where did they land where did Chicago they land? Okay. So they landed in Chicago and were integrated into the larger Nigerian community, which, of course, embraced them and helped them navigate how to get around in the United States. How long did that take? It took a number of years. It took a number of years. So they worked through the process. I mean, it takes a while. So it's not an easy process. Um, there are checks, so, it's, so it has to be a legitimate issue. We had a known dictator. The executions are very yeah. public. We're an international issue. Sure. Would you acknowledge that people who are coming to the United States to seek asylum are more likely to show up for a hearing than someone who's coming here not seeking asylum. Does everybody agree with that? Sure. I would absolutely, I, I definitely agree with yeah. that. If they feel they have a legitimate case, they're going to show up because they want citizenship. Does anyone believe that if we were to take those that were not seeking asylum but were coming here illegally, since one of the big issues is has been that they don't show up for their hearings and they get lost in the uh, underground of, of, of America, that those individuals, uh, especially if you're a head of a household, that a ankle bracelet 
would be part of the solution there. Something as simple as an ankle bracelet, which is getting a lot of play in, in the criminal justice field as, as, a, as an alternative to incarceration, it, it's, it's a reminder that you can't go too far. Does anyone see that that might be a step in the right direction. Peter, what's your take on that? You know, I mean, if, if I was, and I'm, I'm extraordinarily grateful that I've never been put in a position where entering a place where I knew it was not, where... It was illegal. Where, well, yeah, <laughs> th- that it was illegal, that I, w- that I was breaking the law to enter, but that was a better alternative than the one in which I had lived my entire life up to that point. And so if it was go back or wear something like an ankle bracelet, certainly... Then, then I think if that meant that, okay, at least I could be on a path to finding out if I would have a viable option in this country and an ankle bracelet was what that meant, yeah. sure. Mike, makes perfect sense. I believe there is, that was there's, That's one the, of the things that's swirling around in Washington. Yeah. Is something that is a, a practical, at least, element of, of a bigger story. Well, well it was I, done under the Obama administration. And, you know, some the, of that. This is about keeping track of those who enter our country. And so this is a great process, a great way to do it. But uh, people should know that we're also keeping track of the children here, too. Ninety percent of the children, if they are separated from their their parent, as Mm -hmm. it currently is, or if they are unaccompanied, 90 percent of them actually end up with a parent who is currently here or a relative. So we're doing a good job keeping track of them. A lot of these people are now fingerprinted. So there's no loss of data or information. So we have a way to track these people down now. And, Mara, um, oh, go ahead. It's, a, it's sort of a, a, an immediate issue that can be addressed, an immediate mechanism. But I think the long term, it's yeah. still about how do we get the kind of immigration reform and immigration laws that I, are... I, that I, totally, I totally agree. But what scares me about whenever I hear the word comprehensive, mm-hmm. I think of something that's not likely to happen. And bring, you know, bore it down to what, what is the thing that absolutely must be, must be happening. If the president has now said we're not separating the, the, the family... And they've got to be detained. I know we're waiting for a judge whether or not she's going to let that happen. And I agree with you, Mike. I don't think she's going to let it happen. But, again, there's got to be a practical thing. We want to keep track of these people. And one way to keep track of the father of the family and give the mother one as well. So we're equal opportunity uh, way we're enforcing the laws. Give each of them a, a... uh, an ankle bracelet and keep track of them. Yeah, see, and I know we're going to have to hire more people, like we're going to have to hire more judges. One of the other problems I see in this whole <clears throat> debate is I don't know who to believe. And that includes the press. And I'm not attacking the press. But the, the case, of course, on Time magazine had the picture of Mr. Trump and this child. It turns out this child was never separated from right. her family. Right. And the mother, and then you hear, of course, that it's only a misdemeanor. Well, the mother apparently was already deported once. So if you try to come in a second time after being deported, what you're doing is a felony. So she was, in fact, committing a felony. And she did not... She did not tell, according to the husband, husband. she she did not tell her husband, and she left three other children at home. And somehow she got $6,000 to pay a coyote. Coyote. Everything about it is a phony story. But, of course, we didn't know that until after the picture was on the time, and that does huge damage. And it's it's unfair, but life's unfair, right? I think part of that is just the fact that this is such a hot-button issue on both sides and the the desire to really use this as much as possible. Why isn't the press being even more careful? Before they Why aren't they something? saying that we're already a very generous country? We, have, I, we took I, in 1.13 million immigrants yes. last year alone. 
And, and I think the so thing we're for the, very generous already with our immigration system. And this is and not 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 to get off of the immigration topic because it, it's obviously one of the prime reasons we're here. But with the press, and this is it's sort of that catch twenty two because if you are the person's editor who who came up with whatever that cover is, or you found that photo, and you were the first to get to it, and it was well, someone else is going to beat us if we don't. I think the sort of immediacy and the ability to you know, be retweeted or, or whatever it may be, I think it's certainly compromised the quality of, um, of, of, of journalism on, on both so sides of the in this but, in, but, in, but in this particular case, but I, yes, I even a photo. The, time, the Time magazine photo, which came from an individual photo. Was incorrect related to this incident. It was incorrect, okay? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the, a photo. That's right. I mean, it, was, it, was, it, it was obviously it was a group together. shot. But again, it was a group shot taken by an employee of Getty Images, which is the, the number one photo house in the world, okay? Time magazine paid for the rights of that picture, okay? And according to the published reports, the reporter was the one that said that this woman had had the, the baby had been taken away from her. I think that that was ripped from her breast. I think was because she was nurturing. Okay, the the father who was ultimately interviewed said that was not the case. That the, the child was not ripped from her. The child was put down while she was frisked, and that's the one. He's the one who told the story mm-hmm. that she that she paid six thousand dollars. But that whole story got blown out. Now here's something else. And, but, I, and I, I know a little bit about we the media. I tell you what, I tell you what, this is going to play to Trump's advantage. I agree with that, but I'm going to. There's, there's one other piece of this. Of all these pictures, here's someone on the uh, the, the, the cover of, of the magazine. Fake news. Fake news. Oh, here's what happened. <laughs> NBC Richard Engel, who I generally admire, Richard Engel was able to find this girl's aunt in Guatemala or Honduras. I don't remember which. He tracks her down. Now, how does he get that information? ProPublica put this, put the story out. They are a left of center mm-hmm. entity. Mm-hmm. It gets yes. on Time Magazine, which is a mainstream media, uh, and 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 then NBC News finds the aunt of that one little girl who nobody knew exactly what her name was. Mm-hmm. They find the ant halfway in the in the middle of Guatemala, and that becomes you know a three minute story on NBC News, part of a sort of a sob sister story. I mean, that so, those so things don't magically here. happen, folks. No, and, and they plus, don't. The, the, the reaction was yeah. I, I don't know if you, you watch I watch a lot of of uh, political TV. I don't know how many times as a Republican I was essentially called a Nazi, literally called a Nazi this in the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was called a Nazi because mm-hmm. I'm an NRA member. Anybody who's an NRA is a Nazi. I, I wrote it down and I sent it to my colleagues. But now just because we believe in a NRA? secure border. And, and uh, Amara, what happened to your family is exactly what our immigration law is set up to do, to let people that are, uh, are going to be the victims of political strife like that, that's exactly the people we want to embrace. Sure, and today at church, And you did I exactly right, came the right yeah. way. They came into Chicago. They mm-hmm. did everything by the book. Think of all the people who are jumping line trying to violate what your family did. That's the other thing. I, I don't understand. There's almost like no sense of fairness here. Mike's yeah. exactly right. Look, Gina. today at church, I sat right next to a Burmese refugee because our church supports a whole bunch of refugees coming out of Burma. 
And, um, you know, in, in where I live is the home of World Relief, which is he has a huge refugee resettlement program right there in Wheaton. And um, so this is what asylum was built for. And these people are vetted for a minimum of two years before they are allowed to come in. It's a very formal process. Nobody is saying anything about that. But what you have is willy-nilly on the border people deciding to come over. Here's what's interesting. You know, the Mexican president came out and basically said, you know, we strongly urge the U.S. government to reconsider their policy. Um, you know, and that the, they called this cruel and inhumane. And then come to find out of the family units that were inadmissible in this last fiscal year, 12,000 of those family unions came from Mexico, 12,000. And yet he's saying you, you've, you've got to stop with your, your policies at the border. And the majority of the, the statistics of the inadmissible families, the most of them came from Mexico itself. So what's inhumane about your own country, sir? Well, so well, that's the, the larger the, the, question. I mean, I mean honestly, I, I think part of what's being missed, number one, is that a lot of the countries from which the migrants are arriving have been quite silent on the issue. So we yes. haven't heard much from the leadership in Honduras. We haven't heard much from leadership in Guatemala. And even Mexico, it's still been um, quiet. And so really understanding what is happening on that end before they get to the United States, I think, is important to understanding right. who's coming and why. Well, one no, thing I don't that, need one to understand that, came... that, though. Those are, those are all countries that are not like... Uh, some of the your, your countries that you find in, in, in Nigeria or a Burma or a uh, or, or Cuba or anything like that, they are not the same, not even close. And well, well, so. dur- during the break, you you mentioned, and it's it's true, the best way to to either repair or bring attention to a bad law is to enforce it. And so, I think with this. This this is a tremendous opportunity, not only for, for the president, for every single member of Congress, for all 535 of them, to say this is a chance to fix it. Because this is at the forefront. And, right. and as we were talking about you know, earlier, half the week was about the first lady's coat. Yeah. So, so, before, so before we lose any momentum on this issue that could move productive legislation through Congress, they I had certainly think they had productive Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Back in Chicago, uh, we are now going to ask our guests to introduce themselves, to look into the cameras for those watching us on TV, and uh, we're going to start with Amara Enya. Give us a little 15, 20-second background on who you are and why you're here. Sure. I am a public policy consultant by trade, also an organizer, and run a few nonprofits, and uh, I am here to talk politics. I've been very involved in politics at the local and state level. 
And you've been on the show a lot, too. Yes. I haven't been counting, though. I feel like I need to go back and tally up how many times I've been on the show. Mike Miller joins us. 60th appearance. 60, go ahead, uh, Mike. Uh, uh, I'm a, uh, an economist at DePaul <clears throat> University. I've been there 38 years. It's going to start number 39. I uh, do stuff on applied macroeconomics, so the Fed, monetary, fiscal policy, and uh, – and I get to do a fair amount of media because I'm one of the few Republican conservative academics in the city. Yeah, you got lots of air right. time. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Garropy joins us. Peter, yes. well, first time. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. 59 to go. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I'm a certified public accountant. Uh, I work for a small family-owned firm. We primarily work with small business entities as well. And it was through that experience uh, working on people's business returns as well as their personal returns, that I looked a lot more into our property taxes and the amount of information that is available on them and how the information that is available could be better positioned for increased civic engagement. And that led me to running for the Democratic nomination for Cook County Treasurer, uh, for which I was unsuccessful this past March. Okay, you ran and lost. Yes. Will you run again? Did you get the bug? Did you get the bug in you, or did it, did did you lose I would, the bug? I would say I definitely have the bug. Uh, it, it sort of condemned my wife to being a single parent, even though I was still in the house for uh, for a whole year. So I would say if if another opportunity aligns with with my family situation and aligns with somewhere that I feel I'm, I'm well qualified to serve and and with my interest, then I'd have to look seriously at it. But thank you, Jeannie Ives. Hi, I'm Jeannie Ives. I'm a lifelong Republican. I'm currently a state representative down in Springfield, Illinois, and I'm the mother of five children. And you ran for Republican yes. gubernatorial the candidate. Yeah. And I you ran did, against the worst Republican met, governor in America, according to right. National Review, and I just narrowly lost. And um, are we going to hear from you again at the statewide level? Uh, we are weighing our options as our team is looking at everything in the future. Okay. Well, welcome back. You've been Thank a frequent you. guest on this program and uh, we wish you well as well. Let's go to uh, Alan listening to us in Austin, Texas on KLVJ. Go ahead, Alan. Well, thank you, Bruce. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Sound good. I would like to uh, <clears throat> talk more about Mexico, the government of Mexico. And it's, uh, in the past, it has been sort of clandestine and it's worked for illegal immigration in the United States. It's given out maps and times of when cross the border and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now mm -hmm. the leading candidate, president of Mexico, is not being clandestine about supporting illegal immigration. He's being explicit in his support for hordes of people illegally entering the United States. Mm -hmm. I would like the panel to dis to address okay. the yeah. of Mexico. Let's and let uh, Mike talk about it. The president really hit him hard the oh, other night. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, there's one other piece to it. <clears throat> of course, <clears throat> Mexico has its own immigration policy, which is much more draconian than anything that we have. Mm -hmm. when, they, when the folks try to come up from Honduras and Guatemala into Mexico, not a chance. And, but, however, they're more than willing to essentially create a road from southern Mexico all the way up to our border to let these people bypass Mexico. Because under the Geneva Conventions, I believe is what it did this, if you're a refugee, you're supposed to stop in the first country that is free and safe. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Mexico won't have anything to do with it. I, I, 
the, the hypocrisy of the Mexicans in, in the Mexican government here is just, it's profound. It's absolutely profound. Jeannie? Like I said before, I mean, you've got a, a number of people that are still coming across the border from Mexico. So we want to talk about them being El Salvadorians or, or from Guatemala. And they're not. The, the vast majority are still from Mexico that are coming and crossing the border illegally and actually are the same thing in terms of uh, call, uh, asking <clears throat> to qualify for asylum. Asylum from a country like Mexico, that's ludicrous. Now, uh, to our Trump supporters um, – Preceding this, there was almost a couple of weeks of these hordes of people. They were referred to as hordes of people coming from Central America, marching through Mexico. They were on the news every single Mm -hmm. night. Mm -hmm. Did the Trump administration make a mistake by not being better prepared to meet the horde when they got to our border? Jeannie? Yes, I would definitely agree. I mean, I think there was at what time, what, 1,600 that were all coming together, some sort of bus convoy. They knew these folks were going to show up. They should, have, they should have absolutely had a plan in place on how we're going to segregate them in terms of who's asking for asylum, who's, who's crossing illegally, what's going on. They should have had uh, encampments set up. But again, you don't want a refugee camp starting on the southern border either. So that brings in a another issue. Tomorrow? I was actually surprised that they were not better prepared, that we were not better prepared to receive them, especially because there was so much rhetoric as they were yes. approaching mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. well, they're coming, the they're getting closer. The mm-hmm. president was talking about it a lot. So the fact that <clears throat> the rhetoric was out there, but we were not prepared to receive them and to, do, to go through the process was actually surprising to me. I think it would have made a better statement um, to have been prepared to deal with the individuals, with them as they arrived, to go along with the rhetoric as opposed to mm-hmm. the, the sort of alarmist rhetoric, and then we weren't prepared either way. Well, and, and it's been, what, about two weeks now <clears throat> since, since this has sort of has escalated to the point that right. it has, and that there has been – so, you know, and I, I will say to the president's credit that he signed the executive order, but that there has been no progress on any sort of meaningful legislation to it to, – to address it, and it does, and and maybe this is because <clears throat> I was a first-time candidate and never had to defend myself or be primaried uh, after being in office. But when you look, and it, it is such a fantastic opportunity for both sides, and, and, and to say, you know what, as a Democrat, this is what will get my vote if we then push this forward and be public about it. But I don't know that we have the track record to, to leveraging these kinds of hot button, hot topics to move legislation. I mean, if we look at gun legislation, right, and when there was uh, killings, mass killings in schools, that wasn't enough to move the needle. This, I think, because of how it's played out, because it's been so visceral, it's been such a, it's been such a, a tool, if you will, on either side, I don't know that meaningful legislation will come out in this very moment on this issue. Well, there's also, I mean, but, bo- bo- uh, I think the Democrats are really using this because at the moment they're winning on the issue. Okay, they're not they're not agreeing to money to build a wall by not building the wall. That hurts Trump. They know that they know that Trump's got to deliver on that. And yet they know that the DACA, the DACA residents, uh, they're going to vote Democrat. They're not they're not going to they're not going to help Republicans. So they know they've got this. Now they have this 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 expanded group of Hispanics who are going to be standing up, you know, waving the the Mexican flag, uh, supporting these people coming from uh, either Mexico or or Guatemala, because that's the that's the that's the photo op that they're getting. And they're not they're not getting, you know, but people on the ground, the reality on the ground is that these illegal immigrants cost money. 
And when one in four illegal immigrants resides in California alone, you're starting to see an entire demographic shift take hold at the local economy level, where it's infiltrating your school systems, where it's it's there as an expense and not a credit. And so... To, to to some degree, folks that are on DACA, there's there's an economic incentive to bring them into the out of the the uh, you know clandestine economy, bring them into the real economy. You, you may be able to do that, but I, I mean, I'm looking at the Goodlatte resolution. I tell you what, we, if I read off these bullet comments, I don't believe that anybody at this table would disagree with any of them. Yeah. But there's also another narrative to that as well. I mean, if we're, we're using language like they're an expense rather than a credit, but there's also an economic impact to having individuals who have been used, undocumented individuals who've been used to support large sectors of our own economy. I'm not in favor of that. I'm not in favor of that at all. I think it's a horrible. It, it's it it's very similar verified. to human trafficking. If you're you're paying um, below market wages to folks because you know you can get away with it, I'm not in favor of that as a Republican. No, um, and, and so uh, you, we put an e-verify. We bring these people out of the shadows. We we do it in a normal process. But would I'm not. Would, and I'm Jeannie, not towards you, citizenship you, yet either. Would Would you agree that if if you don't have e-verify in a final bill? You're really not serious about the issue. I would agree on two things. One, e-verify because we know 40% 40 of our illegal immigrants here are at people that overstay their visas, right? So the only way to prevent them from tapping into the the job market is to do e-verify. But the other thing that would stop this cold would if you if you had a wall that was protected, whether it's a a physical wall or a monitored wall or a uh, you know line of sight wall between border agents if you had a wall and you forced everybody to come through a port of you know embarkation come through a, a port if you want asylum come port come through and be counted that would stop it cold that would stop it and then you wouldn't have the trafficking of kids do you agree with that amara well i mean just the idea of the wall if it's a physical wall i mean just uh, it doesn't have to be physical. I said that there's any. In fact, I read an article. It was pretty interesting. They said if they had line of sight border agents out there where they could physically have it. The, the issue here is we're dealing with politicians that have to end this, this, this matter. The Democrats know that Donald, in my view, Donald Trump has to deliver on a wall. He's delivered on a lot of promises. See, I, I, I he's actually, got a checklist for that. I he's got disagree. to deliver on that. I, I actually disagree. I think to his base, he does. That you're not his base. No, true. I'm, I'm not his base, but I think I think if he, I, I think the the amount of of forgiveness that he receives from his pure base, I think even if he doesn't have a wall built. At any point in his presidency, I don't think he'll be held accountable for it because – and this this is what I, I One think – I'm going to pause. Oh, I'm going sure. to let the Trumpsters out there respond to that part of your, your comment. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. Now in our 38th year, I'm Bruce Dumont. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. 
Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton, Los Angeles, Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Uh, nice to have you with us from coast to coast and border to border. Uh, this morning on Meet the Press, you know, frequently uh, I criticize uh, what happens on Meet the Press, but uh, I'm going to take my little hat off uh, to uh, Chuck Todd today for an interview that he did with James Langford. He is the Republican uh, from uh, Oklahoma. He's on the, the uh, Senate Homeland Security uh, Committee. And uh, he did an excellent job, and, and the, what was being discussed was the use of the president's rhetoric, and the president's rhetoric has recently basically talked about the, the level of people and the quality of people coming into the country, and he's not been very pleasant in describing who these people are, describing many of them as uh, either murderers or rapists or uh, drug dealers or MS-13. And so that's been part of the rhetoric this week as well and also goes back several weeks. But James Lankford uh, wanted to weigh in on the president's rhetoric, and also he followed that up with uh, some very uh, some specifics and some recommendations that I think uh, are worthy of uh, your, uh, your ears. Let's listen to the president would step out and say a lot of these are folks that are coming for economic reasons. Uh, They want to be able to flee into an area where they have greater economic opportunities. Every family wants to be able to see that for their family. But there are also some individuals that are there. Uh, On average, every day, DHS uh, stops or interdicts 10 people that are on the terror watch list trying to come into the country. And so I have a real concern that we're demonizing law enforcement folks that really are trying to be able to do their job because there are very real threats. But the vast majority of these individuals are coming for economic reasons. That's why they're coming from Central America. They're not fleeing to Costa Rica or Belize or Ecuador, who also have great asylum laws. They're coming to the United States because they want to have the economic opportunities, not just asylum. They're trying to be able to come for economic gains, and I don't blame them for that. But to tell you the truth, 1.1 million people a year become citizens of the United States illegally, and Mm -hmm. half a million people a day cross legally into the United States from just the southern border. So this can be done legally, uh, but the challenge is for those individuals that is a much smaller number that are doing it illegally, how do you process that? Peter, that sounds like a a pretty reasonable member of the U.S. Senate. Yeah, and well, and I I mean, I I do agree that, and and Amar made an excellent point, that there there, there is a system in place. Now, I myself have never had to go through it, and I don't have, and even as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a born and raised lifelong citizen of this country, I couldn't exactly tell you that process. And I would imagine that most people who no. do desire to, uh, to become a citizen or at least have some of the rights and protections of our country, they don't have that solid of an understanding either. And that's where the opportunity exists. So if you're going to say the line is here, Make sure it's clear and everyone knows it, and particularly for those people, because I very well, I mean, my parents, they happened to live here before, but had I been brought here as a child before, it was my choice. I think through that, 
through that angle, if you say we are going to address DACA, we are going to make it crystal clear, zero ambiguity whatsoever, what it takes to live in this country Have you, if you were not born here, that, that's really the opportunity. Mike Miller, to you, uh, would you agree with the senator that the president could probably tone down his rhetoric a little bit and, and at least put in context that, yes, there are some bad hombres, as he used to refer to them. They are coming, uh, at least they have in the past but that really that does represent a percentage, maybe a small percentage of those that are coming right now. Oh, absolutely the case. Uh, um, I, in teaching my own students, I try to get them to express themselves clearly, plainly, but without vituperation. And, and I guess when uh, Trump went to college, he missed that particular lesson. Jeannie, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, look, they you still have people that have violated the law coming yes. over. And uh, you've got what bothers me more than anything and why you need a wall and why you need to have ports where people come in and, and they are looked at mm-hmm. holistically. The reason you have to do that is so that you stop this, the coyotes coming over, taking kids through a hot desert, abandoning them raping them. It's happening. And if you don't believe that it's happening, it's happening. It's the the most horrific part of this entire immigration debate. And what's getting lost is that if you have a wall and you force compliance through ports of entry, you don't have these coyotes coming in and making money. But again, the point that the senator was making is that that, these horrible things do happen. However, uh, there may not be chapter and verse. There may not be evidence of that. But it, it, it plays well, and it's based on, on some facts, I believe. But it's, it's, a, it's a small majority of those coming. Yeah. Those mostly coming are seeking uh, economic uh, betterment but for their exactly. families. And tomorrow. I think it's the responsible thing to do is for him to, to be more measured in how he talks about the issue so that, it is not, so that we're not conflating those who are coming here legally with those who may be coming under more sunshy circumstances. I think it's the responsible thing to do. I think the way that he's been talking about it does play to his base. I think it gets them excited or riled up, but it also it, it has a negative impact on those who are coming here legally and immigrants who are already here legally because they're being cast. Well, look, this is the statistics call. from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. This is their statistics. I pulled it off the website. FY year to date, 4,886 uh, criminal alien arrests at the border. Criminal alien arrests. These are people that violated the wall in one or more reasons, and they were apprehended at the border. Out of how many? Out of how many? Well, you've got, what, how at 300, no, t- so far, 252,000. Four, four, it doesn't four, matter. It's, yeah, it's, it's, but there's also, I don't, but, but here's one other thing I want to follow. Were but that's you, where Trump did really well. We're going to go well. to a break, but I want to get, Mike, your were you surprised at the, at the, the, the that, that 10 uh, terrorists are intercepted at the border? No, I think they're still trying to get to us. That's right. They have a long game. They just take their time, and they're going to slowly get in here, and they're going to try to do what they I can. would think, I mean, it was a startling number to me, and it made me think, uh, if that was really the case, why are we just learning about it now? That's that right. seems to That's be a big story. That's the beauty of this whole debate. Yes. That's right. It's, it's a big debate. And by the way, speaking of big debates, we'll talk about that in the next uh, hour of the program. Our special guest in the next hour is going to be Michael Isakoff, chief investigative reporter uh, for Yahoo News, uh, one of the leading investigative journalists in the country. He's got an incredible story uh, that came out. Not much news with it last week. You don't want to tune off the program right now. Big story coming up in hour number two. I'm Bruce Dumont. 
for those leaving, leaving us right now, or we're losing you, we'll see you next week. For those, most of you, we'll be back shortly. far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station, or it darn well should be. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. From Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of warm and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public service professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Amara Enya, Peter Garapi, Jeannie Ives, 
Mike Miller and Michael Isakoff. Our program tonight coming to you from our Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. Nice to have you with us. 1-800-723-8029. That's 1-800-723-8029. If you want to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. And again, if you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo at D-U-M-O. And beyondthebeltway.com is the website where you can see the radio and the television show if you miss us on Sunday night. And also, of course, on Facebook at beyondthebeltway.com. Um, I want to take a moment at this point in the broadcast uh, to apologize for uh, last week's uh, broadcast. Um, we had a guest who was way over the top. I, we probably got more negative comments about last week's program than any program we've done in a long time. And for the second time in the 38-year history of this program, I had to admonish a guest on air because she was so out of line and and overboard. It was not her political position that was offending me and offending a lot of other people in the audience and even fellow guests. It was just the tone and tenor of her conversation. For 38 years, we've tried to present a civil discussion of issues. That civil discussion sometimes gets very, very heated. That's okay, because passions on both sides are running high, especially now in this country. I don't dismiss that at all. But again, in the course of civil discussion, you have, to, you have to remain civil. And we had a guest last week that went over the line. She won't be back on the program. You'll be happy to hear that. And, but again, it was unfortunate. And I've had to do it twice. I've had to do it uh, last week. It was to someone who was left of center. But I've had to do it with somebody right of center as well. So they've both been admonished. And again, I apologize if I wasn't uh, more aggressive than I was, although she was admonished uh, on the air. But thank you. Uh, and continue. And thank you for your your comments. It's good to know that people out there that uh, she was making everybody's blood boil, but that isn't necessarily uh, the purpose of, of this program. Uh, Jeannie Ives, I want to talk about. I want to switch gears now uh, and and mention also that in just a few minutes we're going to be joined by Michael Isakoff, uh, the chief investigative uh, journalist uh, for Yahoo News. He has a big big story that he's going to expand on coming up in about ten minutes. But Jeannie Ives, you wanted to talk about the IG report. Uh, and yes. Peter Skorich and the FBI being escorted, finally being escorted out of the FBI. And uh, uh, there was some big developments in the, in the whole Russian investigation last week. Yeah, and I also want to just relate it back to Chuck Todd's program this morning because they absolutely didn't mention one thing about this investigation report that came out. Not one thing. They made it as much as they could less than a week's story. And in fact, in that same um, television show that he did this morning, they were uh, just explaining how you know how often do you actually get to see a. A, an issue that goes from one week to the ne- into the next week, right. and they were talking about immigration being this big issue that has just captured right. the the imaginations of the nation. And I'm thinking, have you looked at that IG report? Have you read what's going on? Do you know Do you know what these 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 top brass at the FBI were doing and saying um, in the time frame? I, I'm just shocked. Shock! There was no mention right. on a major news media program. Well, there about was a, that. there was a big news story that was missed, and that's what we're going to talk about uh, mm-hmm. with uh, with Michael Isikoff. Uh, I want to get a reaction from uh, you, Amara. Uh, do, do you acknowledge that that the Peter Skorich and all of the other FBI agents, of which there were 
there were five individual FBI agents. Only two of them have been identified in this report. They were all engaging in very, uh, you know, derogatory comments about then-candidate Donald Trump. Do you acknowledge that in the court of public opinion, the Republicans may have turned the corner on this issue? I think they possibly could have turned the corner, but the thing is, it is it is an issue that has been overshadowed. I mean, that's the thing. I heard one major story about this perhaps last week, and that was pretty much it, and it disappeared in the vortex, and everything was about immigration. So I think a lot of people have missed the details. Also, because the investigation has been going on for so long, I don't know that people are really clear about the details, who's who, what happened, and why it's significant. And I think that's another reason why it might not be, as, at least as high on the radar, as high on the agenda uh, in the court of public opinion. Mike Miller, what do you think? Yeah, I, going into it, I had a strong suspicion that there are two justice systems, one for those who are, like not just Hillary Clinton, but people of power, and then there's one for all the rest of us. And after reading the, or hearing about the, uh, what was in the report, reading a bunch of reviews of it from people I respect, I'm more now convinced that that is absolutely the case. Peter, what did you think? What happened what think? With, with the Hillary Clinton issue was unbelievable. I actually, I, I, I agree with Mike, certainly with the perception for that there is a different set of, of rules and guidelines for the haves and haves nots, and I think that transcends uh, political leniency. On that note, I, I do I, I agree that in the court of public opinion, it is it, it's 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 very damning to have a law enforcement officer um, use oh, not just the court of public opinion, Peter. Oh no 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 Peter, no, this no, is no, just no no no! But that is what that that is what Bruce was asking about. Um, but I agree that it, I mean I would be troubled if it was the Cook County Sheriff's Department and there were sheriffs who were saying, "Oh my God, can you believe this person who's running for this?" And it was and their comments were were, were in, in a political context. In that in that case, yes. These are these are these are individuals. They're people who should be paying attention to the political process. But when it comes to their jobs and the sensitivity and the importance of those positions, they should not be making well, comments like other, that on, f- on on taxpayer. Let's go uh, full circle here. Just recently, they had the mystery FBI agent number five who sent anti-Trump Trump texts. They just unmasked her. Her name is Sally Moyer. Okay, and uh, here's some of the things she said. She said, "I can't say this on the air." Blank Trump. Screw you, Trump. She, meaning Hillary, better win. Otherwise, I'm going to be walking around with both of my guns. And she also called the Ohio Trump supporters retarded. Mm -hmm. And she is sitting there being one of the top FBI investigators in both the Russian collusion story and the Hillary Clinton email um, investigation. And all of those folks folks are intertwined with each other, yet you have this massive amount of anti-Trump rhetoric going around in the open among these top officers and nobody is calling attention to it. I, 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 I agree that that language problem. is, is in a, I, I think that language well, it's not is just it, the language. It's I, I, attitude, I think it's inappropriate it's for, it's, for a crossing guard, much, much less an FBI no, agent. No, no, no. These but, people but should have been is, fired immediately. But this is, I, I think what's missing, and this gets, this gets back to, again, and we'll get into it with, with Michael, this gets back to the, the important role that our news media, which is supposed to be presenting all sides to us, uh, that really the, the scale has been tipped dramatically. Because in this particular case, and this is, this is all from the, uh, from the report, there were five FBI agents. We know about Scorich. We know about his girlfriend. We know about two of those five. Now we've just learned a third one. 
But of, the, of these five FBI agents, and hopefully we're going to get them all unmasked, listen to this. Four of the, by the way, two of the five were lawyers, like Lisa Page. Of those five, four of them are on Robert Mueller's team. Now, Scourge was kicked off the team. But again, four of those five people who, as FBI agents, involved in the investigation of Hillary Clinton and involved in the Russians' investigation with Donald Trump, four of the five are on Robert Mueller's investigative team. So watch out for that report because I think it's already questionable. Back shortly. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. I have been mentioning for the last uh, hour and 15 minutes that our special guest tonight is Michael Isakoff. He joins us now. Uh, he is one of the country's leading investigative journalists. He has that position with Yahoo News. Of course, for many years he was with Newsweek, and he was the man who very much involved in helping break the story of Monica Lewinsky. So he is uh, well regarded. And again, uh, Michael, it is uh, delightful to have you on Beyond the Beltway this evening. Uh, Good to be with you. I wanted to reach out and have you on because of a story that you wrote earlier this week. Uh, It underscored some things that uh, you have included in your latest book with David Korn called Russian Roulette. And uh, I I want you to to tell the story of, of your breaking story this week because, as I've said in hour number one, I was a little bit startled that there hasn't been more of a pickup on what I think is a very significant story involving a gentleman by the name of Michael Daniel. Why is Michael Daniel important, and why should we know about what he testified last week? Well, Michael Daniel was the cyber coordinator, the cyber czar in the Obama White House from 2012 till the end of um, President Obama's term in uh, January 2017. And um, as we wrote in uh, Russian Roulette, uh, and this is one of the chapters that's probably gotten um, some of the most attention, um, he was very much an advocate of pushing back hard on what the Russians were doing in the 2016 election. Um, uh, His argument was that um, what the Russians were doing uh, was unprecedented. Uh, This was a full-scale attack on our democracy uh, on multiple levels, cyber attacks, uh, uh, social media, 
um, uh, intrusions into state election databases that um, raise the prospect of actually tampering with the election itself. And um, in the summer, as the intelligence started coming in about the full scope of what the Russians were doing, he began, uh, he had an entire staff and they began preparing options for the president to um, uh, respond to what the Russians were up to. And there were some very aggressive options that he um, uh, laid out, started working on, including um, uh, cyber retaliation, uh, denial of service attacks on Russian news sites, um, uh, taking down some of the online personas that were uh, uh, dumping uh, Russian hacked emails from the DNC on to into the public sphere and um uh, he was there was also another staffer on the national security council with him celeste wallander who uh was working on other aggressive options uh designed to expose some of uh the corruption in putin's government and in his family the whole idea was to give Putin a taste of his own medicine. The um, the argument was that the Russians really don't care too much what we say, but if we can make it painful for them to attack us, that would send a message. Now, Michael, and what then, what other one other name that that uh, you referenced and was in the, the testimony before the Senate last week was uh, Victoria Newland. She was an assistant yes. secretary of state. And uh, she testified that that, rate, that, that the Russian uh, cyber uh, attack was first viewed as early as December of 2015. Mm-hmm. So the Obama administration, they knew that this skullduggery was going on a long, long before uh, uh, anybody ran for president. I, I like the use of that word because that also happens to be the name of uh, the podcast that my colleague Dan oh, Clydman and I have at Yahoo, Skullduggery. That's one so, of my father's yes, favorite uh, words. Mention that, uh, as, uh, mention that as much as you can. But yeah. just to complete the story, in uh, late August, um, uh, Michael Daniel gets called in by Susan Rice, the national security advisor for President Obama, and is told to stand down. Uh, and cease work on these aggressive options that he was uh, preparing for the president. Uh, the, um, uh, the the message was that the president didn't want to be boxed in. The uh, Obama people were concerned that these options would leak and that it would in, uh, uh, bring pressure on the president to do some of what Daniel was proposing. And he went back to his staff and told them to cease work on it. Um, uh, that's all laid out in Russian Roulette, Chapter 14, okay. for those of you who uh, uh, have sure. the book or want to get the book. Uh, but Michael Daniel testified for the first time uh, about this before the Senate Intelligence Committee this week, was asked about the passage in Russian Roulette and uh, confirmed it uh, as uh, exactly as we wrote it uh, and said that uh, as a result of the stand-down order from Susan Rice, uh, he put those, his work on those options on the back burner. Now, the uh, just to be fair to everybody here, the argument from the president and his defenders uh, has been that um, uh, this was that there was concern that if 
if the president responded along the way, uh, along the lines of what Michael Daniel was proposing, that it could set off a full scale cyber war with the Russians in which we would be uh, uh, even more vulnerable than they, that they could take down our electrical grid, for example. Uh, and that would be a pretty scary prospect. Michael the president was. Yeah, I want to ask a couple of follow-ups, and we've got some guests here that want to continue to question you as well. Uh, the, the issue has been that uh, the President Obama knew about what was going on. He was fearful of telling the American people for fear that he would be viewed as a Democrat trying to put a thumb on the scale in the election. That was and, another and, argument. And he has blamed, and his supporters have blamed Mitch McConnell for not agreeing uh, to have a broader bipartisan congressional press conference announcing uh, this, uh, this information. Uh, as as did you look into that part of the I mean, yes. I, I have argued yes. that as the leader of the free world, if the Republicans didn't agree with you, you had a responsibility to the American people to alert them. Now, Democrats don't they don't they many Democrats have not bought my argument here. But uh, can you tell us any more about uh, about why the president uh, just really sort of blinked at sharing this valuable information with the American people? Well, uh, you you laid it out um, uh, quite well, and that's and this is an issue that we cover in depth uh, in Russian Roulette. Um, uh, but yes, the the president was hoping to get a bipartisan statement from uh, in which Mitch McConnell, the Senate Re Republican Majority Leader, and um, uh, and 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 Paul Ryan would sign on, uh, so that it would not look like the president was carrying water for Hillary Clinton, who had made the Russian cyber attacks an issue in the campaign. He wanted this to be a bipartisan statement. Mitch McConnell uh, didn't want to go along. He thought that uh, uh, this would be something that would be helpful to Hillary Clinton, would hurt Donald Trump, because Trump had dismissed the idea of the Russian attack. And um, it, if it hurt Donald Trump, it would hurt Senate Republican candidates, and Mitch McConnell could lose his job as, as majority leader. So um, uh, Mitch McConnell didn't go along, and uh, one can debate whether that should have been, whether the president uh, as you said, as the leader of the free world, had an obligation. He had the intelligence. He knew what the Russians were doing. He had a better grasp on it than anybody else. And um, uh, the decision was made in late August that instead the president would give a private warning to Putin uh, at the uh, at a summit in China in early September. He did so, but he didn't say anything publicly. And one can debate whether that uh, message, private warning to uh, Putin um, had any effect or not. The Obama people thought it did for a while, but the testimony this week uh, from Victoria Newland and Michael Daniel was that um, what the Russians did was shift their focus from the uh, probing of state election databases, which is 
the, uh, which is the part of the Russian campaign that alarmed uh, the Obama White House the most, to the social media uh, component. And that was the phony Facebook ads, the Twitter bots, bots yeah. uh, the other exploitation of social media designed to disrupt the election and to denigrate <laughs> Hillary Clinton. That continued despite what um, uh, Obama's, uh, despite Obama's warning. Uh, it appears that the U.S. government as a whole didn't fully grasp um, the full extent of what the Russians were doing in the social media sphere. And that was a huge intelligence failure and one can argue a huge policy failure as well. Now, by the way, uh, Mark Warner, the Democrat of Virginia, the ranking member of the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee uh, as a Democrat, he said uh, in his opening statement, uh, we were caught flat-footed at the outset and our collective response was inadequate to meet Russia's escalation. So that was the Democratic uh, perspective. Uh, Michael, I've got people around the table. Uh, Jeannie Ives is one of our guests. We're running into a commercial break pretty soon, but I want to I, I have her ask her question and then we're going to pause and get your answer. But Jeannie Ives, what's your question? Yes. Thank you for joining us, Michael. And actually, I'm a state representative in um, Illinois, and we were one of the databases that the Russians apparently tried to interfere with. So uh, I find this conversation pretty interesting. But I I think I'm trying to figure out uh, what came first, the chicken or the egg to some degree here. So part of the the article I read on on your work also suggested that Trump himself uh, didn't want to have you didn't nobody wanted Trump to have the ability to say well the Russians interfered in case he lost and this is interesting because now you've got this Russian um, interference investigation going on it's all falling apart and it seems like they almost took this cyber attack and that now started to try and make it a Trump cyber attack issue or collusion issue. And I don't, I want to know how those two are connected, what you're reporting on in the investigation. Back shortly with your answer, Michael. Okay. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us. We're talking to Michael Isakoff. He is the chief investigative reporter uh, for Yahoo News, one of the leading investigative journalists in the country. He is author of a new book called Russian Roulette, the inside story of Putin's war on America and the election of Donald Trump. And again, it's uh, co-authored by uh, David uh, corn and again uh, it's available on uh, on Amazon and again uh, hopefully uh, you're being intrigued by uh, 
uh, by the conversation we've had thus far. Uh, you should not think that this is just a book that's out there that's going to be trashing Donald Trump. I think we're dealing with some issues now about whether or not, I mean, the whole issue of Russian involvement in our elections is a very important issue, but I think we have to look about what all administrations have been doing to to protect us in the future, because there's not a lot of evidence that a lot has changed. Maybe Michael will correct that, but certainly looking back at the history, uh, the history of this investigation really has a, it, a, it has a bipartisan approach to it, and I think Michael is bringing us up to date on some pretty significant things. And Jeannie asked a question before the break. Michael, I'm going to give you an opportunity to uh, respond to uh, Jeannie's response, and then uh, we've got more questions for you. Sure. And I, I should point out that uh, uh, Jeannie is exactly right about what happened in Illinois. In fact, it was the Russian uh, cyber intrusion into the Illinois uh, voter registration database uh, that was uh, uh, picked up by the FBI early on and uh, really alarmed uh, folks at the uh, at the White House and Homeland Security about what the Russians might be up to. Uh, it wouldn't take much to really uh, cause havoc uh, at uh, on election day uh, merely by tampering with some of the uh, uh, some of the voter registration uh, uh, numbers. If somebody's social security number, all you had to do was switch a digit, and they they would show up at the polls, and then they wouldn't be entitled to vote. Um, so it was something that really did concern a lot of people in Washington, um, and 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 Illinois was sort of a canary in the coal mine one of the first to were, states, what was were states were states michael um, were states taking the the warnings from the feds seriously or or were they sort of protective of their home turf uh, you know, more the latter than the former. Uh, there was concern when um, Jay Johnson, the Secretary of Homeland Security, tried to get state election uh, uh, secretaries of state who oversee elections in the states on board uh, with uh, allowing federal protection of their systems. Uh, some, particularly in red states, Republican secretaries of state saw that as an attempt by the uh, Obama White House to take over uh, uh, election voting in their states, and they were very uh, guarded about about going along with that. But to, to answer the broader question that Jeannie raised, um, yes, there was concern because Donald Trump during the campaign was denying everything. I remember, he, you know, in the debates, he said, oh, we don't know that it's Russia. It could be some 400-pound guy sitting in his right. uh, uh, living room uh, on his couch. Uh, now, uh, with that sort of rhetoric um, and, and Hillary Clinton, of course, trying to sound the alarm about what the Russians were doing, uh, if the president and the Obama White House came out too strongly, basically endorsing the Hillary Clinton view, they feared they would look partisan and that they would be attacked for being partisan. Did, so yeah, that that was a question, totally uh, a break. Yeah. Jeannie's got to follow yeah. up. Okay. But, but my point sure. here is it seems like they did a, they, they said, we're going to stand down. We're not going to necessarily do all these measures to protect from cybersecurity. And then on the flip side, believe it or not, the entire Mueller investigation becomes about Russian interference, and it seems like they took an issue that they didn't want to actually do something about, and they flipped it to try and make Trump look bad in the end. And 
I, I just see these two, your, your latest report, very much connected to right. maybe it was their master plan with these top administration FBI people saying, look. They did say they wanted sure to push it off to the next administration, right. didn't they? Yeah, That's so, right. I think there was, there, was, there was an assumption that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And right, so right. A, a lot of people in the Obama White House figured, OK, we'll just let uh, uh, Clinton deal with this. The new administration deal with it. They'll come in. They'll follow up uh, now. Um, uh, but to your point about the um, the uh, FBI counterintelligence investigation of the Trump campaign. And I should point out in the book, I, I hope you've gleaned this much from our discussion uh, so far. We really try to tell this straight. Uh, this is a work of investigative reporting. It's not a it's not a polemic. It's not an argument uh, for one side or the other. We just wanted to lay the facts out there in as detailed a way as is possible. And I think we accomplished that. But for from everything we've been able to figure out uh, and, and all the testimony and all the documents that we've seen so far uh, do show make clearly that in the uh, summer of, uh, of 2016, the FBI launched this counterintelligence investigation mm -hmm. into what the Russians were doing and whether there were, in fact, links to the Trump campaign. There was a lot of reasons they had to do that totally separate from the politics of it. You had Paul Manafort, who had been the campaign yeah. chairman, who clearly had these associations with the pro-Russia political party in Ukraine. He was getting paid millions of dollars through offshore accounts. His top aide in Kiev was uh, somebody who the FBI deemed to be a Russian military intelligence asset. And perhaps most importantly, he was a business partner of a guy by the name of Oleg Deripaska, who was a billionaire oligarch very close to Putin, who the FBI believed had organized crime ties, and Manafort had a falling out with uh, Deripaska. Uh, Deripaska thought that he uh, uh, that 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 he skimped him on millions of dollars in a Ukrainian cable deal, and Deripaska was coming after. Uh, uh, Manafort. And Manafort was trying to placate Deripaska yeah. by offering him private briefings into what was going on in the Trump campaign. So if you're a counterintelligence uh, yeah. agent for the FBI and you see a guy, a campaign chairman, who's basically uh, fearing uh, that he's in hock to a, a Putin oligarch with ties to organized crime, you're going to be concerned about Michael, that. Michael, uh, I think there, 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 there clearly yeah. was smoke there. And again, I've said this over the right. last couple of weeks. I, 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 am, I am not, I'm not one that's saying there were no grounds. There clearly was grounds. Right. But let me ask you, Gessen, do you have sure. or did you uncover any evidence that Donald Trump may have learned about this and that's why he fired Paul Manafort, because I don't remember well, a reason ever being given why he fired Paul Manafort. There, there was a disclosure in August about uh, payments, a, black, a ledger of uh, uh, documenting uh, off the cuff, uh, off the books payments from the pro-Russia political party uh, in Ukraine to Manafort. The New York Times reported on that. Uh, Trump blew up when he learned about it because this was starting to become a baggage for his political campaign. Right. So at some point, Trump learns about it. He does fire 
uh, Manafort okay. in August. Uh, but there were, look, there were lots of other uh, connections, uh, associations that was uh, that was concerning to the FBI. Michael uh, 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 Amara, Anya, we, uh, we, we, you you sure. you're giving us a, a lot of great information. It's getting a lot of questions, and Amara Anya has a question for you, Michael. So, Michael, thank you sure. for your explanation. And actually, my question, you kind of answered a lot of it. So my question was about the issue of uh, Russian interference, but then this other issue of collusion. And what is the yeah. balance between the interference question or the interference issue with just Russian interference in our elections and the, the appearance of collusion or the, the suspicion that there may have been collusion with a particular campaign to interfere with, with the election? Well, look... I you know, I, I, I outlined the, uh, the the Manafort issue, which was, you know, one of the um, one of the matters that got the FBI uh, so worked up about this. But there were others. There was uh, the, the question of Carter Page, the uh, foreign policy advisor who flies off to Moscow and uh, uh, has meeting with uh, Russian officials in Moscow and then emails the campaign about uh, what he's gleaned, the insights he's learned from uh, uh, Russian government officials um, while he's serving as a foreign policy advisor to the um, to the Trump campaign. There's the whole matter of George Papadopoulos, who's meeting with people who uh, were believed to be cutouts for the Kremlin, who were telling him about uh, you know dirt they had on Hillary Clinton in the form of thousands of emails. There was Michael Flynn, who had flown off to Moscow in December 2015, uh, and was paid $45,000 to attend the uh, uh, anniversary dinner of, uh, of uh, RT, Russia Today, the Russian uh, government propaganda station, and ends up sitting next to Vladimir Putin at the celebratory dinner that night. So there, and and plus there was you know Trump's uh, repeated efforts over the years, including during the campaign, uh, to build a Trump Tower in Moscow, in which he was actively doing business with oligarchs who were close to Putin. So the totality of that was not insignificant. And there was but legitimate grounds for the FBI to want to investigate all Jeannie this. Jeannie Ives has got a comment. Yeah, it's, uh, that's sure. all fine, Michael. But in the end, it's uh, Fusion GPS. It's the um, DNC. It's um, their, their lawyers paying for the dossier that was then used. I'm sorry, that was then used to... Um, uh, you know, start the, the, the Mueller investigation or as a, as a pretense for some of this. And um, I, I mean, how does that weigh in? They've still they've not proven one thing that Trump colluded at all. And yet the, this uh, other well, part look, is being not talked about enough. We are. Look, um, I, obviously, we're all going to have to wait for Robert Mueller's uh, investigation. And on that, and, po- and on that, uh, and on that point, Michael, deter- we got we've got to pause. We're going to do another one segment, but we're running out of time. Uh, we're talking with Michael Isikoff. Don't go away. Another full segment coming up. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. 
Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton, Los Angeles, Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. Bruce Dumont back. We're talking to Michael Isikoff, who joins us from Washington this evening. And our guests, uh, uh, you have perked uh, a lot of questions from uh, our, our panel here in Chicago. Uh, Michael, I want to go back to, uh, to, to a key point of this uh, testimony uh, from Michael Daniel uh, last week. And that is that Susan Rice, who was the security advisor to the President of the United States, she was the one that gave the order uh, to the cyber investigative team to stand down. Has Susan Rice ever responded to why she gave that order? Well, the explanation she gave at the time was, I, I think, as I indicated before, she you know she was fearful that these proposals would leak. It would box the president in. The president wanted to preserve his options to do whatever he chose to do. And obviously, I think at that point, he had chosen a different path, a non-public one, a non-aggressive uh, one uh, to respond to the um, uh, to the Russian because it would have, uh, intrusion it, it, into our election. It, yeah, it yeah. would it would it would have I, I would assume it probably would have raised an issue in the closing weeks of the campaign or days of the campaign whether the United States should aggressively respond to the cyber attack. Absolutely. And that's that's exactly what Michael Daniel and others inside the Obama White House were arguing. Um, but um, the president and his senior advisors uh, chose a different path. I think um, many of them now uh, do regret uh, what, how they handled this and do believe they should have been um, much more forceful, much more aggressive in responding. Um, uh, but, you know, that's that's hindsight. And um, uh, one can debate, uh, you know, who had the who had the right idea. Was there any coordination? Because prior to December of 2015, we had the high visibility attack on Sony. We had the attack on the U.S. personnel yeah. office with a revelation of hundreds of thousands of, of, of government workers. Uh, is, in, in your research, is there any indication that the Russians or uh, the, uh, the North Koreans or uh, China or any other uh, actor on the, on the world scene uh, was uh, acting in cahoots or coordination with the Russians? Uh, no, I haven't seen any of that. But it is certainly true that, you know, this was during a period there had been a wave of very damaging cyber attacks across the board from uh, hostile nation state actors. You know, the North Koreans had hacked Sony. Uh, the Chinese had gotten into the Office of Personnel Management and stolen information on millions of federal workers. Um, uh, you know, less th those were well publicized at the time. But but less well publicized um, uh, was something we, we write about in the book, which was a Russian cyber attack on the White House itself. Uh, the, the Russians had in, uh, uh, in 2014 attacked, gotten into the White House computers, 
Joint Chiefs of Staff computers at the Pentagon, uh, State Department computers. These caused enormous disruptions. The default of the uh, Obama White House at the time was not to publicize them. So there was nothing publicly said uh, about what the Russians were doing. And I think that's another um, decision that was made that people could look back on and raise questions about. Um, the, the assumption was you don't want to publicize these sorts of cyber attacks. But, um, you know, some would argue that sunlight is the is is the best response. Where are we? Where like are that. we right now? I mean, with, with all of the things that we did wrong during the Obama administration, maybe going wrong now, are we doing anything right to make sure that the elections in November and the election in 2020 is going to be a cleaner election that the American people can have confidence in? Uh, you know, uh, this has been a subject of much discussion. Uh, Homeland Security folks will tell you that they are trying to work with the states, trying to alert them to uh, uh, what possible intrusions could take place. But I should point out that the um, the job that Michael Daniel had at the White House as the cyber coordinator to bring together all the uh, uh, agencies of government that work on this issue and make sure they're you know, marching from the same t to the same tune that they they all have the intelligence that they are all working together. That job has been eliminated under uh, President uh, Trump just in the last uh, couple of months. Uh, so that's you know probably not a good thing. I got to ask you. Uh, I've waited a long time to ask this question. I mentioned in the introduction. Uh, you were the reporter that that really was out there uh, about to break the Monica Lewinsky story. You became synonymous with that story after it broke. But when you wanted to release it, uh, your bosses then at Newsweek, uh, they spiked the story. They wouldn't let it get out. What was your reaction when you had the Monica Lewinsky story spiked by your superiors? You know, uh, at the time, and by the way, I've written about this. I wrote a book about the whole Lewinsky right. scandal uncovering Clinton many years ago. But I do remember uh, uh, the New York Times uh, did a story on all this at the time, and they asked me if I um, uh, uh, had uh, suicidal tendencies <laughs> after the uh, Newsweek editors chose not to run the story. And I said, I don't know that I had any suicidal uh, tendencies, but I won't deny I might, may have had some homicidal tendencies at that time. But, um, you know, uh, I had a job to do. Uh, we uh, uh, we worked through it. I, I think at the end of the day, we published the most detailed, comprehensive account of how the whole Lewinsky scandal came about. We won the National Magazine Award, and I'm quite proud of our coverage in the end. Thank you very much, not only for that story and the leadership you provided on that, to the American people. But again, I think for those people that have not, uh, they, they know that the title of the book is A Russian Roulette, The Inside Story of Putin's War on America and the Election of Donald Trump. The revelation that you had in that book that was corroborated last week in the Senate hearing, I think was very significant. It's very disappointing to me that this did not receive the widespread publicity on the national news media that it deserved. They were too bogged down in the First Lady's coat. But your, your, your revelation 
of that information is very important. I urge my listeners to go out and get this book and read it. And Michael Isikoff, I thank you very much. You're one of the best of the best. And thank you for joining us on Beyond the Beltway this evening. Thank you. Good to be with you. We are out of time. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks to our guests for being with us. And thanks to Fritz Goldman and Dan Dorfman and Sam Greenberg. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. If you look hard enough, go off the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station, or it darn well should be. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida. Where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City at HiltonUniversal.com. They let you be the star in Hollywood.